In Proverbs, the 29th chapter, let's begin looking at it. Proverbs chapter 29, and of course you, you're familiar with this verse of Scripture, but look at verse 18. Proverbs 29 and 18. It says, where there is no vision, what happens? The people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Well, you want to be happy? That word's also translated blessed. Blessed. He's blessed. Now, of course, they just had the law. Today, we not only have the old covenant and the law when the prophets, but we've got the new covenant, the New Testament, the four gospel accounts, the wonderful book of Acts, the church on the move, glory to God. Is that right? The church in the spirit. And we see also uh, the epistles given to us right from the heart of God. Living letters from a living God to a living church on a mission to a dying world. Hallelujah. I didn't intend on it, but I got a little preaching in me this afternoon. I, I, <laughs> glory to God. That'll be all right. Is that right? God, if we preach a little bit. Praise God. Where's my cord? I got my cord. There we, there we go. Hallelujah. And uh, the one who keeps the word. What, what kind of person are they going to be? Happy. Happy. Well, look over at your neighbor see if they've been keeping the, keeping the word. Because if they're not happy, <laughs> I said, if they're not happy, <laughs> is that right? Why would you be frowning? Because the Bible said if you keep the word, you'll be happy. I said, you'll be happy. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, but you know, I, I, I got joy down in my heart. I'm just not, I don't show it much. Well, no, wait, wait, that won't work either. Because the Proverbs also said that a glad heart makes a cheerful countenance. It, it will affect your face. It will. If your face is completely unaffected, then it's questionable exactly what's going on inside of you. Right? Let me just tell you this now. Faith is not sad. Faith is not depressed. Faith is not sad. Uh, if you're sad, if you're down, if you're depressed, don't kid yourself. That's not faith. There's no such thing as being in faith about a thing and also being depressed over it. That, that's, that can't work. You have to be either or, but you can't be both. You can't be in faith about something and depressed about it. Some of the greatest evidences of faith that I know are joy and peace. When you're full of faith, you're full of joy. If you're kind of half full of faith, you're half full of joy. You understand? However how much faith you have, well, that's going to affect your joy and your peace. If you have absolutely no joy, totally depressed and down. If you have no peace, totally vexed and upset, well, that's evidence that you have no faith. You're not operating, operating in any faith in that area. How many with me? Now, you understand what I said? There's no such thing as being in faith about the thing and also being depressed about it. That just, that's, that's not so. Yeah, but I'm making confessions. Yeah, but there's more to faith than just making confessions. So if you're making confessions and are still sad and depressed, well, you're not in faith. That's good to make the confession. That can help you get in faith. 
You understand, because faith comes by hearing, and when you say it, you hear it. But just because you make a confession, that doesn't mean that you're in faith. Faith is not just of the mouth. Faith is of the heart. For with the heart, no, it didn't say with the mouth you believe. You believe how? With your heart, and then with your mouth you express what you believe in your heart. Or it should be what you believe in your heart. So, where there's no vision, what's going to happen to the people? They're going to perish. We don't want to perish. We want to be overcomers, triumphant, victorious. So I begin yesterday, we want to continue today talking about vision. And really I think I'll just go ahead and title this series, Vision of Victory. Vision of Victory. That'll work, won't it? Now in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. I tell you, it's, it's, it's a little cool outside, but there's nothing cool about you guys today. I tell you, y'all are, y'all are, y'all are ready. If you couldn't preach with this crowd, you just can't preach. You just, y'all are pretty, pretty good shape today. Second Corinthians 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4:18. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, are you supposed to pay that much attention to outward things? No, you're really not. And yet, so many people, they pay all attention to what you see in this physical realm. But no, we look not. Now, when he says we, he's writing to Christians. We who live by faith, we walk by faith, not by sight, not by natural sight. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things, or you could say it like this, but we look at the things which are not seen. Did you notice that? We don't just look at things that are seen, but we do look at things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. That's why we don't pay so much attention to what registers on our natural uh, physical senses. It's because everything that you can sense with this body, everything you can see, smell, hear, taste, touch, etc., is temporal. It's very temporary. Is that right? You go outside and you'll feel that it's cold. But that's temporary. Is that right? I mean, that could change, especially here in Oklahoma. That could change within the hour. Is that right? Right? You look outside and it's light, but that's temporary. Because in a little while it'll be dark. Is that right? You smell, and you might smell certain, you know, uh, smells outside or what have you, but uh, that's, that's subject to change. Right? So he's saying we shouldn't put so much stock in what we see and feel and hear and taste and touch and smell because those things change by the second. Don't try to build your life on those things. Let's say that you're attacked with physical problems today and you feel bad, you hurt, you have pain. Don't just be so moved by that because that can change. I said that can change. Just like it went from good to bad, it can go from bad to good. Is that right? If it changed one way, it can change the other way. Well, what should you look at though? Are there, you know, in this world that we live, everything's so transient, but are there things that don't change? Oh, yes, glory to God. God doesn't change. 
Anything he says is forever established in heaven. Is that right? Anything he does is forever done. Is that right? Glory to God. We have a God who changes not, a word who changes not, a redemption that changes not. Hallelujah! That's what we should keep our eyes on. That's what we should focus on. Right? You might see something with your natural eyes, feel something with your natural senses, but don't just get caught up in that because that'll change. It will change. It'll change. Oh, but lift up your eyes. Hallelujah. Go to, go to Colossians real quickly, the, the third chapter. Notice something here. Colossians. The third chapter. Verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. He said, If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Did you know that you also sitteth on the right hand of God? Seated with Him in heavenly places. The scripture, now whether you understand all about that or not, the Bible said it, it's true. Hallelujah! He sitteth there, and I sitteth there too. Because I sitteth with Him. Woo! Now you might be temporarily seated in a bad spot in this climb and in this realm. But don't let that move you. Because the thing that's not going to change is the fact that you're seated with Him in heavenly place. That's not going to change. That's not, your seat down here can change quickly. But that seat there does not change. Set your affection. Now, the margin of my Bible says, for, for affection, it says that word means mind. Set your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, notice he said, set your mind on things above. Isn't that a same, another way of saying the same thing? We don't look on natural things, but we look on the things that are not seen. What, what do you mean you're looking on the things that are not seen? I got my mind set on things above. Got my mind set on things above. Now I think you can see from what we've already said that uh, there's a connection here between living by faith and being victorious and having the right vision. And yesterday, on yesterday we went into some detail about it. Faith and vision are inseparable. You show me a person who's had faith and has had victory, I'll show you a person who had a vision. They got a vision. And their faith brought their vision to pass. Now, when we talk about faith, and again you ask uh, most anybody in charismatic word and faith circles and a lot of other people too, and you ask them, well, how does faith come? And and then immediately, Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I think sometimes that we've not really understood what's happening when one hears. Do you understand that we see what we hear? And if you don't see it, then you don't understand it. 
You're not able to grab hold of it until you see it. I mean, people talk that way all the time when, when they're talking about, you said, did you understand that? And they go, yeah, I see that. I, we, we use that phraseology constantly. I see that. And that is not just a figure of speech, my friend. No, no. Because you are actually seeing some things. And yet you're not seeing natural things. You're seeing spiritual things. You do understand now that you're a spirit being. You're not just a body. Even if you, do you realize this? If you didn't even have any physical eyes that you could still see. Now you couldn't see in this physical realm, but you could still see. Some of you had to think on that. Go with me to Ephesians, the first chapter. You're nearby. Just, just back up a little bit to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. And notice a prayer that he prayed for the church at Ephesus here. Verse 16, Ephesians 1.16. He says, we cease not, 1.16, we cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, how are you going to access that wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him? Notice through what avenue? Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Some translations say the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know what's the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul said, I want you to see that. I'm praying for you that God would, would by His Spirit give you revelation so that your eyes, no, 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 not your natural eyes, the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light, one translation says. Flooded with light so that you could see. See what? Basically, sum it up like this. See what Jesus has done for you. See who you are in Christ. See what you have in Christ. See what you can do in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. See what happened in Jesus, uh, you know, in uh, conception and in his birth and in his life and in his uh, death and burial and resurrection and ascension. See what happened when he conquered the principalities and powers. See what happened when he sat down at the right hand of the Father. See what that means, not just historically, but what it means for our present tense living. He said, you need to see that. You know, so many times people are praying, uh, you know, God do this for me, God do that for me, God do the other for me. And there's nothing wrong to ask uh, in asking the Lord to do something for you, but sometimes people are ignorant of the fact of all that God has already done for them. Oftentimes people are asking God to do things that He has already done. 
Do you understand that, that uh, Paul didn't just pray? If you read through the epistles again and again, he's not just praying, God, do something for him. God, do something for him. So much of the time he's praying, Lord, uh, reveal to him, help him to see what you have done. How many understand that the Lord has gotten the victory for us? Isn't that something that, that remains to be done? He has done it. He has conquered the enemy. Is that right? He has purchased our salvation. He has paid the price for our sins. He has taken our place. He has borne our sicknesses, carried our pains, the chastisement of our peace, took the curse of the law. He has done it. He has done it. He has done it. And yet so many Christians are not living like that. Why? They have never seen that. They have never seen that. And that's what Paul is, by the Spirit of God, saying, I'm praying for you that you would see that. I've had people look at me with tears in their eyes from healing school. Oh, and I, I remember one particular time I was teaching on love, how God loves us, how He's our Father, and He loves us. You know, more He, he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? How much the Father loves us. And I had one person just, just in tears, where you look at me and say, well, if God loves me so much, why didn't He do something about my situation? If God loves me so much, why would He relieve this awful pain? Why would He do this? For... You know what the answer to that is? He already has. I said He already has. Now why won't you believe it? You understand what I'm saying? So many times people are praying for God to do what He has already done, which shows they have not yet seen what He's done. They haven't seen it. You've got to get the vision of it. Is that right? How much difference vision makes? How many remember uh, Saul, who later became Paul? Remember? How that before his vision of Jesus, what kind of person he was? Blasphemer. Injurious. I mean, uh, 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 you know, breathing out curses threatenings, is that right? And, and using his clout and using his influence to do hurt and damage to people and churches. I mean, he is on an all-out mission to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. You can see what kind of person he is. But he had a vision. <laughs> I said he had a vision. And in that vision, what, or should I say, who did he see? He met Jesus, and he saw Jesus, and he said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. From that day forward, the man was a different individual. Is that right? A vision. Now, when I say vision, you understand the Bible said he had his eyes closed through that whole thing. And it wasn't just a matter of something that he saw spiritually only he had a revelation inside of him. He saw with the eyes of his heart and understanding that Jesus is the Christ. He is risen from the dead. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is. And from that day forward, the one he previously persecuted, he preached with all of his heart and he gave his whole life to the building of the church he formerly tried to destroy. Why did that happen? Vision. Vision. He got a revelation. 
He saw some things that he hadn't seen before. How much difference vision makes. Without a vision, people what? They perish. And as in his case, are instruments of destruction as well. The reason people do some of the awful things that they do is because of how they see things. The Lord was dealing with me. In fact, the, uh, just the last, uh, oh, the last 30 minutes before I came here to teach, the Lord gave me so much on this, I couldn't possibly teach it all this week. Just thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. I know I'm on the right track. Amen. And I'll try to get some of it out, but I don't, any one of these things could be something that you could you'd teach on and elaborate for some time. But the Lord prompted me and helped me to see that we deal with people and we treat people and things and situations and institutions totally based on how we see them. If you change the way you see a thing, then you'll immediately change the way you deal with it or treat it. Did you know that? Now, perhaps we'll get into that in a little more detail later on. I just want to let you be chewing on it between now and then. But uh, can you see that vision and faith are inseparable? And that when we say faith comes by hearing, that's true. But do you understand that when we hear, if we understand, then we see? Words paint pictures. If they don't, then you haven't communicated. You understand, we, you know, so many times people try to operate in the abstract, but it really doesn't work. You have to see things. And you can take an abstract truth, but you really can't lay hold of it unless it can be illustrated. Illustrated. And by illustrated, I mean that different words are used, different stories are told, so that one is able to see the operation of it. They're able to see how it functions. See how it works. Jesus taught in parables continuously. He said, how can I explain the kingdom of God to you? He didn't just speak to them in abstract principles. But he said, it's like this. And he would take something that they had all seen with their natural eyes. Something that they had all worked with and touched and handled and, and had dealings with. And he'd say, you understand how that works? Oh yeah, perfectly. That's how this thing you can't see operates. It operates exactly the same way. Now they've seen it. And so they understand. I said, when you hear, you see. And uh, something that many times people have not understood is that your faith is going to produce the blueprint of your vision. What is your faith going to produce? What is your faith going to develop? When we say we're going to put our faith on something, what do we mean by that? I'm going to believe for something. What do we mean? Your faith is not just an entity uh, unto itself, but your faith works to produce your vision. Before, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, didn't he? With the word of his mouth. But before that he created it by faith-filled words, he had to have the vision of it within himself. Do you understand? He had to see what he wanted. Do you understand that? I think anybody that has knows anything about creation knows the, of all the intricacies 
of it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It did not just happen. I don't care what anybody says. Too much detail. Too much detail. And uh, God had within himself, the Bible tells us he created and formed it by his wisdom, by his knowledge, by his understanding. He knew exactly in himself what he wanted. He knew how it was supposed to look. He knew what he wanted, what it was supposed to do, how it was supposed to interact with other parts of his creation. And based on what he had conceived, the vision he had within himself, he spoke faith-filled words and his faith, the faith of God, created what God had within himself. The vision of God. Now he's told us he wants us to operate like that. That's what Jesus is saying in so many words over in Mark 11 where he said, have the faith of God. Have faith in God, the King James says. Other translations say, have the God kind of faith. Well, how operate like God does. Well, in the beginning God conceived and spoke. And it's what, that's what uh, Jesus was telling his disciples that if you'd have a vision inside of yourself of this mountain being removed and being thrown into the sea, and then you would take faith from your heart and speak to that thing and command it to do what you want it to do, it would obey your words. And your faith would do the job. But your faith's going to do what? What's your faith going to do? What's your faith going to be against? Your faith is going to do what your vision has blueprinted for it to do. I don't know if you can see that or not, but that, that is so, so important. I mean, you know, we used the example yesterday of building a house. You can have all the materials, you can have all the workers, and you can say, go build me a house. And they'll say, well, well what kind? Oh, just a house. Just, just build me a house. Now, what do you need before you're going to build a house? You need the blueprint. You need the plans. Is that right? And if you said, no, no, you know, I'm not gonna have, I don't have any plans. I don't want to think about it. Where do you want the living room? Where do you want the bedrooms? Where do you want it? One level? Two levels? Three levels? How do you want it? How big is it here? Oh, I don't care. Just build a house. Well, if they build one, it won't be your vision. It'd be their vision. Right? But before they're going to be able to build, they're going to have to have a vision. If they didn't, what if the concrete people just started pouring? And the framers just started framing. Each crew just did what they wanted to do. Is that right? And the and, and then electricians and the plumbers, they just start, you know. What are you doing? Well, they'd get crossed, wouldn't they? Nothing would match. Nothing would fit. You talk about a, an awful looking conglomeration. <laughs> right? And, and the reason I say that is because People don't understand. Sometimes they're just talking about, well, what do you do? Well, I'm just believing God. For what? I'm just believing. Brother Hagin said when he pastored churches and held meetings in churches for years, he said he, he, he kept record of it for years. When people were praying in the altar, he'd go along through the altar sometimes and, and sometimes just interrupt people, just tap them on the shoulder and say, well, what, what are you praying about? And so sometimes they just look at him in amazement and say, well, uh, uh, I'm just praying. What are you praying about? Well, nothing in particular. He said, well, that's what you get. Nothing in particular. <laughs> you know, oftentimes people don't realize that we need to be specific. 
Now, when I say that, you have to you have to add a word of caution. I don't mean just specific with your own plan. We need to get God's plan, but we need to get the details. We need to get specific. Amen. And our faith will produce the blueprint of our vision. Our faith will produce our vision. No vision, there's nothing for your faith to produce. Big vision, your faith can work on a big thing. Little vision, then your faith just can work on a little thing. Your faith is going to produce your vision. Don't forget that. Your faith will produce your vision. And I think sometimes people have thought, well, my faith, I need to work on my faith, my faith. Yeah, but what about your vision? What about you? What kind of vision do you have? Because that's what your faith is going to produce. Now, we talked about individuals of faith, and like we said, if we, if we were so inclined and had the time, we could go to Hebrews 11. We could look at every one of these faith uh, heroes and, uh, and look at these individuals who believed God and had miracles and had victories. But I tell you, every one of them, you can see, they had a vision. We talked about Abraham, how he and Sarah had Isaac when they were both old and it looked impossible, excuse me, impossible. But you can understand that way back before this came to pass, that God took Abraham outside and said, look up, see all these stars? Can you count them? Can you count the sand on the sea? Sure. And he said, to, no. He said, that's how many your descendants are going to be. See, God had to get a vision in him. Can you see that? And he carried that vision, and Sarah got a hold of that vision, and then eventually uh, Isaac was born. And the dream began to come to pass in this outward realm. We talked about Joseph, how that just as a boy, uh, God got a vision in him through a dream uh, of him being in leadership position, even his brothers uh, being submissive to him, even his mom and dad coming and, and bowing before him. And, of course, it didn't look like it was going to come to pass. It looked like he was, it would never come to pass. But he held on to that vision. And that vision is what got him through tough times in life. Can you say amen? Oh, friend, I, you know, getting a vision from God can be a strong foundation for your faith. It can get you through some tough times. You know, we talked about uh, Paul, uh, who, who was first called Saul uh, a while back. When, when he first uh, saw Jesus, the Lord told him on the road to Damascus there that he was going to bear his name before kings and Gentiles, among other things. Is that right? And he was going to suffer a lot of things for his name's sake. Do you understand that that helped keep Paul going? That he, you know, even when it looked like he was not going to make it, he knew, i got a call on my life. He had a vision of taking the word to the Gentiles. Paul had a vision in him of taking the, the message of truth, the gospel message, to the known world, to the Gentiles. And I mean, he, he made a lot of progress on that, didn't he? He went all over the place. And he had a vision within him because of what God told him of taking the word to kings, to Gentiles. So a lot of times people get intimidated and say, well, you know, you couldn't go preach to the president. You couldn't go preach to this king. But Paul had a vision in him of standing before kings. Standing them before the, the, the rulers and the governors of the land. And he did it. Festus, Felix, Caesar. He did it. He did it. And I tell you, on his way to see Caesar, it looked like he was going to drown. You remember that? Out in the middle of the ocean. You know, typhoon. It looked like they're going to die for sure. And, he, and, and an angel of God helps help bring the message to him. No, Paul, you can't die out here. You've got to go to Rome. Remember? Remember the vision? You've got to go preach to Caesar. 
Do you see how that would boost Paul's faith? I can't drown out here. Got division inside. Now, I'm not just saying that to be saying that, friend, if the devil's attacked you, if he told you he's going to kill you with a disease or with a cancer or with a tumor or whatever the thing might be, you need to check your heart. What has God told you you're going to do? What has God told you that you need to do? Have you done it? Are you through with it? Again and again, you'll have to say no. A lot of people just got started. And you have to stir up yourself and say, I can't die with this stupid thing. See, what's going to be bigger in you? The fear of the disease or the vision of victory? That vision can get so big inside of you until you, you can just say, no, I can't die. I ain't got time to fool with this. I got to do the work of God. I got to do the will of God. Hallelujah. And your faith will produce your vision. Now, if the devil has his way about it, he will produce within you a vision of dying. He will paint for you a picture of you steadily getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. He will paint a picture of you never doing anything, never being successful. He will paint a picture of you whiling away your years, wasting your time, never achieving your full potential. But he's a liar. I said he's a liar. Don't listen to him. Don't let him form that vision of failure in you. Because God's saying something else if you'll listen. He's telling you who you are, what you are, what He's got planned for you. And I'm telling you, He's got plans for you. God's got big plans for you. Do you understand that? Good plans. He, he said, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Good thoughts to give you an expected end. Hallelujah. Good thoughts. Good, good, good. God says, have I got a plan for you? I, I have a plan for you. And it's not something he just thought up on the spur of the moment. He's had it in himself and in his heart and mind long before you were ever born on this planet. But I want to say something that may be startling to you. That plan that he has will not come to pass for you unless he can get that vision inside of you. Now, something else that the Lord spoke to my heart, and I, this is another one of those things I said He spoke to me just, just a while back, just a few, a few minutes ago actually, is that when I'm talking about these two visions, and I know you, I'll stir up a few things here, but that's all right. Some things need to be stirred up. Uh, I'm talking about two visions. You understand that? And I'm talking about two directions. And I think sometimes people just, they, they like to believe that, well, God's got everything all sold up for me. You know, that I'm going to do His will no matter what. He's plotted a course for me, and I'm, I have to go down that course because God is sovereign, and He will see to it that I go down that course. Not so. If that's so, then you have no will. You have no choice. That's not true. I want to tell you something, like I said, this may stir up a thing or two, but that's all right. I want you to understand that uh, again and again, as we go through life, we stand at the fork of the road. Did you hear me? And the enemy will paint a vision for us. And he will try to portray, when I say vision, you understand again and again, vision has to do with the future. And the enemy will endeavor to portray for you a future. 
But the Lord, if you listen to Him, He will portray to you a different future. And depending on the one you embrace, that's the route you take. And so that's the direction you'll go. There's more left up to us than what people think. It really is. There's more left up to us. Sometimes people, you know, especially later in life, uh, I've met people that are bitter at God. Well, God, you know, look what kind of life I've had, you know. And, if, you know, if uh, I was born for this and to have all these things happen in my life and to be so lousy and terrible, I just wish I'd have never been born. I just wish this or that. Well, see, you know what they're implying? They're implying that they have never made a mistake, that they have never made the wrong decision, that they have never taken a wrong turn. I know people don't realize how proud and arrogant those kind of statements are. But to say, listen carefully now, to say that everything that has ever happened in my life is the perfect will and plan for God, you just got through saying, I have always been perfectly obedient to God in everything. Now, if you have to admit and say, I have not always obeyed God. I have not always gone His way and done what He did what He directed, then that will explain to you why you have not always experienced His perfect will in your life and why things have happened that are not pleasing to Him and, and not, you know, not pleasing to you either. Don't thinking, I guess. Something to think about. Do you understand? Uh, I, I don't know if you realize it, but man, I, I just went crosswise with a lot of theology right there. And I'm not backing off of it. I, uh, you know, there are so many people, so many people that just try to present and, and say it as a fact that everything that's happening is God's perfect will. But see, they just got through being arrogant and proud and so much of it's ignorance, I know, but there, that you might as well have said, I have always done the perfect will of God in everything. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think you have. <laughs> if you want to have the perfect will of God, you must do the perfect will of God. If you don't do the will of God, then it's not surprising when you have things in your life that's not the will of God. Well, y'all got quiet on me on that one. But uh, something, something to think about anyway. I'm telling you that the enemy has a vision for you. Now, it, it, it doesn't always look bad. Did you hear me? The vision the enemy will try to get in you is not always a vision of destruction. It can be a vision of fame, popularity, riches. But you'll have to, with his vision of fame and fortune, you have to do the wrong thing to get it. You have to go the wrong way. But he will try to tell you, if you will do this, and if you will, if you'll go this way, 
and he will lie to you and tell you, oh, no, you don't want, no, you don't want to be a minister. No, 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 no. Ministers are always poor, always begging for everything. They never have anything. Ministers never have any fun. They can't party. They can't do drugs. They can't sleep around. You know, no, no, no. You don't want to, you don't want to be a minister. How many understand what I'm saying? And he'll try, you know, how many listen, understand that the devil will try to portray a vision that if you obey God, it's going to be Dollsville. <laughs> it's, understand? I mean, if you are a good Christian and you do the will of God, you are going to be bored out of your mind. It's going to be a dull, listless experience in life. And you're going to waste your youth and vigor in a church house somewhere, singing a silly hymn. <laughs> but that whole vision is a lie. God, He'll give you a vision. He'll show you how good it can be. Now, He's not going to show you the whole thing, because if He did, you'd just be walking by sight. But He will give you glimpses of glory. Glimpses of glory. He will. Didn't the Bible say part of the uh, ministry of the Holy Ghost is He'll show you things to come. Is that right? Yes. Now, I think sometimes people have be- had a narrow concept of that. But but no, that doesn't necessarily have to mean you mean you have to fall into a trance and see years down the road or be transported. You, no, no, I don't mean that. Uh, that could happen, but there are many other ways that God can give you glimpses of glory of things to come. Just a glimpse of it. Just a glimpse of it. Why? Because He wants to formulate within you a vision. A vision inside of you. A vision. And that vision will keep you going. Even when it's not looking as good as you'd like for it to look right now, that vision will help you to hang on and say, hey, hold on, hold because it gets better after this. It's not going to stay like this. It's going to get better, and it's going to get better, and it's going to get better, and it's going to get better, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. Listen to this. There are many people in this room right now that if you continue to go on with God, there are a lot of things in your life that right now is as bad as it'll be. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean by that? <laughs> right now, now I didn't say everything, I said a lot of things in your life right now is as rough as it'll be. As you take each day and each step through tomorrow, so many of those things will just get better and better and better and better and better and better and better. Glory to God. You know, when you're first getting started, a lot of times that's the toughest times. It's the toughest times, man. I don't care what you're talking about. If you're first getting started in the Christian walk, first getting started in ministry, first getting started in things, oh man, a lot of times those are the leanest times, the toughest times, because you know the least. Yes. Yes. Just, you're, you're the most ignorant. You've got no experience. You just, you just started. A lot of times the fewer people know you or care. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's the roughest times. But if you can get a glimpse of your, of your future, if you stay on track with God, then you'll understand, hey, this is as rough as this part gets. Now, don't misunderstand me. There'll always be challenges. And there'll be other things, to do, you know. But some things, 
If you'll stay on with God, there are a lot of things that this is as rough as it'll be right now. What you're experiencing right now is as rough as that'll be. It'll just get better and better and better and better in those areas. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank God forever. Thank God forever. Thank God forever. <laughs> You'll see some things with the eyes of your spirit if you listen to these words carefully. I know it just in the past few years that I've walked with God. I've known that certain tests that I made it through. Oh, God, it was rough. It was hard. But when I made it through, I knew when I got through it, I knew, glory to God, I had gone, I had made it over the hump in an area and it'd never be the same for me again. Uh, you know, it would be after making it through that, it will be substantially harder for the enemy to discourage me. You know what I'm saying? Because, because I had made it through that point. I made it through that. Hallelujah. Because tribulation, what does it work? Patience and patience works. Experience and experience. Hope. Hope. Expectation. And that hope makes not a shame. I mean, once you have made it through a thing, it was tribulation. Tried your patience. Is that right? <laughs> but once you get through it, you got a little experience under your belt. And you get almost cocky in a good way. I mean, what I mean by that? <laughs> got a little season to you. You know what I mean? You know? And when you get things a little, get a little rough, it doesn't phase you. It's like an old seaman that's been out to sea and he's seen the worst of storms. He's lived through the worst of it. And a little gale blows up and everybody's hollering and squealing, but he says, ah, oh, that's nothing, that's nothing, that's nothing. It's when you got to hold on to the top of the mast for three weeks. That's, that's a trial. And you just got half a nostril above the water for two days. Now, now that's a trial. This is nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I know the I, I know the Lord encouraged me one time in one particular test. It's been a few years back, but the but the Lord encouraged me that the enemy had had done his best on that particular area. He had done his best to to get me to to, to cause me to fall, to cause me to mess up. And he couldn't do it. Oh, glory to God. Boy, that, that makes you just want to shout, you know. I knew it was rough. I mean, I, I knew that. I knew it was tough. I didn't, I didn't know what other people experienced, but I thought, my God, you know, when will this ever quit? How far will it go? But just kept believing God. Just, just kept the rougher it got, the more I stayed on my knees. I just kept pressing into God. And, Is that, you understand what I'm saying? Now, you know, the enemy, you know, the Bible said he tempted Jesus, you know. And, uh, and, and after, after a while, he left him for a season. Cause now he's gonna be back, you understand that, uh, for a season. That doesn't mean you, you got it whooped for life. 
But I'm telling you, the uh, the victory over these areas. You you can uh, uh, well let's just go to Peter. Let, let me just read this verse to you. This will register on you better than I could say it in my own words. Go to First Peter. Now I didn't intend to say half of this, but that's all right. That's what we need for the for the time, I believe. First Peter four. First Peter four. Now in first Peter four, verse one. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Now when he says suffer here, he's not talking about suffering, sickness, and disease now. No, no, you have to read the whole context here. But he's not talking about suffering, sickness, and disease. He's not, not, not talking about suffering from the curse of the law. He's talking about suffering that results from your taking a stand on the Word of God and and resisting all the contradictions, all the persecution, uh, and the trial that time would pose, and all of those things. How many understand that having to put your flesh under and having to stand, you can suffer, man. You you can hurt. And I don't mean you talk. I'm not talking about physical problems. I'm, I'm just talking about it's possible to be right in the middle of the will of God and be hurting all over. Because ever you're tempted to jump out of the will of God. You're tempted to just give up and do it like other people do it. You understand what I'm saying? You're tempted to just quit. You stand. Suffer. It hurts. And of course, this, this applies not just to standing for a healing or for a miracle or for a financial need, but this, this applies to everything. Doing the will of God, ministry. I mean, sometimes it's not easy to stay put where God wants you to be. You understand that? Oh, no. No, no, no. Sometimes you want to go and God says stay. Sometimes you want to stay and God says go. <laughs> and if you do, you know, the opposite of what your flesh is wanting to do, then, uh, your flesh is going to suffer. It's going to hurt because you don't, you're, not get, you're not getting to do what you want to do. You're not getting your way. It hurts. It's called crucifying the flesh. Is there any suffering involved in crucifixion? Oh, yes, yes. But if, if you do it, if you make it through that, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You gain a, a new level of victory over sin. The little things that used to trip. Now, that doesn't mean you can't sin anymore, but you gain a new level of victory over sin. And you gain a level of maturity. Having made it through trials and tests, you gain a level of maturity that you're not just living for yourself anymore. You, you have died to some of your own thinking and died to some of your own wants and likes and preferences. And you can say with Paul, I died. I was crucified with Christ. Died and buried with Him. And the life I now live, I live. Amen. The life of the Son of God is in me. I live by Him. He lives in me and through me. Can you say amen? Now, we talked about the fact that Joseph had a vision and his faith 
produced that vision. He eventually sat on the throne and, and they came and bowed down before him just like he saw it. You know, David had a vision just as a boy, didn't he? How many remember his, his uh, tangle with Goliath? How, you know, how many understand that was a faith exploit? Was that a faith exploit? I mean, did that, would that show what kind of faith David had? But did you hear what he said as he talked to King Saul? King Saul told him, you're just a youth. You can't go out there and fight this, this huge, this monster of a man. He's been a soldier from the time he was a boy, and you're just a boy. What did David say, though? David said, a lion came and took one of the, the, the lambs, and I rose up and grabbed him by his beard and smote him, killed him. And a bear came and took one of the flock, and, and I stood against him and killed him. Listen to his vision. Now listen to what he's saying. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. I'm going to do to him what I did to the lion, what I did to the bear. He had a vision. And when he walked out, he had a big vision. See, now we know David's a big man of, of great faith because of his big vision. Big faith has big vision. Little faith has little vision. You can tell people's faith level by their vision. If you get beyond their vision, they start saying, oh, no, no, that's, that's too big. No, no, we can't do that. That shows where their faith is at. Big faith, big vision. Little faith, little vision. No, what kind of vision? You know, uh, the, the other fellas, all the warriors, they had a vision of them going out there and getting their head cut off. Didn't they? That's why they're hiding in the trenches. That's why their knees are knocking. They could just see them going out there with that big gigantic nine, ten foot pound, ten uh, feet uh, guy that weighed what? You know, what would a man like that weigh? I mean, huh? <laughs> what, 500 pounds? You understand what I'm saying? Five, six hundred pounds. Easy. And of course, he's a warrior. He's a big guy. He's been training for this. Can you imagine? Now, here, I'm, I'm a 200 pound guy. If I had to tackle a 300 pound guy, I'm out, I'm out, wait, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I better, I better choose my, my punches. I mean, I better, you see what I'm saying? Cause if that guy gets a hold of me, he's got me by a hundred pounds. He can just fall on me. You sit on me. What if he weighs, what if a man weighs 600 pounds? Oh, brother. And what they could see is them going out there and just getting torn apart. That was the vision that they had within them, and that's why all of them were too scared to move. What kind of vision did David have? You understand, when, when he came out there, David had those stones, he had that sling, and he started going out, running out toward the giant, and the giant made him mad. He said, have you sent a kid with a stick out here? From, am I a dog? He said, come on, come on, little boy. I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds today. Come on. And what did David say? Listen to his vision. He said, you come against me with a spear and a sword and a shield, but I come to you and against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And you'll see this day that God doesn't just deliver by a sword and a spear. I'm going to take off your head. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. Could you see? He's got a vision. 
He could, though he was so much smaller than this guy, he could see himself going out there, seeing this guy fall and bite the bullet and hit the dust. He could see it. He could see it. He could see it. He could see it. And because he could see it, his faith could produce it. And God did it. Oh, glory to God. He had a vision in him. He could see himself doing that. And so by faith, he did it. God did it. We talked about the woman with the issue of blood. How she kept saying, if I could just touch the hem of his clothes. She could see herself touching his clothes and being healed. She could see that. She had that within her. And so she did it and it happened. She could see it. She could see it. Now, let me say it to you again. Don't you think I know you, I may be sounding redundant, but I want to keep saying it because I want you to get it. I want you to see it. I want you to see it. You... Let me say it like this. Your faith is going to produce your vision. Your vision is the blueprint that your faith develops. And your faith works to cause to come to pass outwardly. Do you understand that what you are and where you are and what you have is a result of what you envisioned days past? Do you understand that? I know people don't like that necessarily. Some people, <laughs> but uh, you you have to see yourself doing it. You have to see. I know that as a boy, my dad put me in a a school of a actually martial arts when I was ten. And I realize that some some people get goofy with the religious side of it, and other people don't. You know, you just it just depends on who you're talking to. But uh, they trained us. To do some, for the next several years, I was involved in that. And, you know, all through school, all through high school, out of high school, I, I, that was what I was going to do before I, God got my attention to be a preacher. I was going to be a fighter. And now I'm fight lies. <laughs> I said, now I fight lies. <laughs> so I'm still a fighter. But, uh, some of the, some of the moves and some of the techniques that some of the teachers did you know, to the untrained person, they just seemed almost impossible. You just think, well, you can't, my body won't do that. But they taught us, if you can see yourself doing it, if you can see yourself doing it, then you can do it. And you know that absolutely the truth? You know, if you see yourself stumbling and being awkward and falling, then that's what you keep doing. But even though you might fall, if you can see yourself performing it perfectly, Perfect execution. Perfect execution. I used to practice that, practice that, practice that, practice. Uh, you know, I saw some studies later on, some years after that, about how that they would take different, uh, uh, even like they did this with some basketball teams. They had one basketball team that spent a, a good bit of time just sitting on the court, envisioning themselves throwing free throws. Watching themselves do every move of it. Every move of it, going through the motion just in their mind, thinking and watching that ball just burn the net, burn the net, in the net. And the other group, they didn't do that. They actually did the free throws. And at the end of the time, the guys that meditated on free throws had better scores than the ones that actually practiced the free throws. I'm telling you, it's a, I've talked to golf pros. 
And they've told me what they've done. I've talked to individual after individual after individual that was a success in their profession. And before they were able outwardly and physically and mentally to do a thing, they envisioned and they could see themselves doing it. In here, they could see themselves doing it. And maybe the first many times they tried to do it outwardly, it didn't look like what they're seeing in here, but they kept that vision. They just kept on until eventually they could do out here what they had formerly seen themselves doing in here. If you get a vision, then the outward will be patterned after the inward vision. Can you see why the devil's soul wants to get within you a vision of failure? And you can understand, uh, you know, why people act the way they do, why they carry themselves the way they do, why they treat themselves the way they do, is because of how they see themselves. So many people have accepted the devil's vision of who and what they are. They see themselves as dumb, klutzy, carnal, ugly, unattractive, you know, unpolished, rough, crude, you name it. And because they see themselves inside that way, what happens? What happens? Their faith produces that. You understand what I'm saying? Their faith produces that. You become what you behold. And when I say behold, I'm not talking about the outward beholding. Go back to our text of Second Corinthians there, one of our texts. We don't, we don't look at the outward things. We don't look at the natural things. We look at the things that are not seen with the natural eye. But as you behold the spiritual vision, you become what you behold. That's what you become. That's what you become. I don't know if I'm expressing myself properly here or not, but, but you know, I, I know... Because later on, we don't have time today, but later on I'm going to talk to you some this week unless the Lord leads us in another direction about exactly how to get a vision. We're going to talk about some of those. How to get the vision in you that you should. I've alluded to it and said a few things here and there, but we're going to just zero in on how to get in you the vision that you should have. But I know that through the years, God has put a vision in me of what I'm to be, who I am to be. And a lot of times it was different. The vision he was trying to communicate to me was different from how I, I presently saw myself. I was looking at myself this way, but he wanted me to see myself another way. And that is not just some minor uh, psychological trivia. I mean, it makes all the difference in who and what you are. If God can get you to begin to see yourself differently and you embrace and hold and keep that vision, you will become a different person. I have counseled with people before and talked with people before, and sometimes people put on a pretty good front, but I, in, in points of duress and at times of great distress, I've had people just, you know, just flood and out of their heart. Out of their heart say, well, I, I'm just the rudest person, I'm just so obnoxious and so this. Well, see, that's how they believe they are. That's how they see themselves. They try to act better, but they really believe this is how I am. This is who I am. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I, you know, I'm second rate. I'm inferior. I'm carnal. I really probably don't even belong here. But maybe if I'll just put on a front, nobody will know. 
how second rate I am and how dumb I am and how this and that. You see, they believe that. They've embraced the vision the devil sold them. And the devil's been working on getting that vision in you from the time you were old enough to know anything. I mean through little ugly remarks that other kids on the playground made to you, to thoughtless words that a teacher or parent said. you understand what I'm saying? Names, nicknames, you name it. Even past experiences where you did mess up. I've told people this by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God prompted me to tell them this. And I want you to remember it. Don't forget it. I remember a person was talk, talking to me one time and oh, they were so distressed. They had messed up. They had done a wrong thing. And, and the Lord prompted me to tell them. I looked at them square in the eye and I said, listen to me, I'm telling you this by the Spirit of the Lord now. That's what you did. But that's not who you are. Do you understand that? Just because you did that, that doesn't mean that's what you are. You can put that behind you and you can go right on and you say, hey, I did that. I acted like somebody that's not me. <laughs> that's not who I am. Because the devil will say, oh yeah, that's exactly who you are. That's exactly who you are. You unspiritual, carnal, undisciplined, loud mouth, fleshy. That's exactly who you are and what you are. You, you know, it, it would be amazing to know how many people believe that. What I just got through saying. They, they believe that about themselves. Somebody said, well, Brother Keith, that's just, that's the way it is. No, it is the way you believe. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you can change the way you see yourself inside, then you can become different. You know, it's amazing how people look at other people and say, oh, I wish I was like them. Oh, I wish I, you know. Look, you know, uh, ladies look at other ladies and go, you know, look how beautiful she is. Look how graceful she is. Look how elegant she is. Oh, I wish, but uh, you know, I've just always been gruff and tomboyish and crude and you know, I just, that's just not me. Well, you are what you believe you are. I said, you are what you believe you are. You can be anything good in God that you will. You can change. I said, you can change. And the way you can change is by faith. Faith will access God's power and ability to change you. But what's your faith going to produce? Your faith is going to produce your vision. Your vision. Hallelujah. I know the Lord's been working on me, endeavoring to get a vision in me for years. And I've endeavored to respond to Him. I hadn't always done it perfectly, but I've done it somewhat. And the Lord kept telling me, you know, and, and I, I don't like to talk about myself much, but I, I'll share a little bit because I want you to see some things. The, the Lord kept dealing with me for years. You're an example. You're an example. Be an example. Be an example. Everything about you. You're an example. You don't look to other people. You are an example. Well, I didn't necessarily want, you know, want that responsibility per se. But, uh, but, in fact, he had to, he had to remind me of that. Cause I, I kept thinking, well, you know, I'm this Keith, an old boy from Mississippi, you know. But that's not who I am. 
I said, that's not who I am. I'm just no country boy, just no this, you know, not with much extra education or much this or that. No, no, that's not who I am. I'm a man of God. I'm an example. I'm spiritual. I'm sensitive. I hear from God. Understand what I'm saying? Now, I believe that about me. You can call it ego. You can call it whatever you want to. But I know what it is. And the only reason, I, only reason I, I'm saying that is because I want you to say some things. Second Corinthians 3. Now, we had said to you that you become what you behold. Second Corinthians 3, verse 17. He said, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with open face, it's nothing over your face, nothing in between your face and what you're looking at, beholding or looking at, as in a glass or mirror the glory of the Lord, we're changed. That's what we want to be changed, right? Changed into what? The same image. What image? The one we're looking at. Is that right? Do you see when we say you, you become what? What you behold. What you behold. You become what you behold. As we, with open face, beholding, like in a mirror or glass, the glory of the Lord, we're changed into that same image. And it doesn't happen just in a, in a moment of time. We're changed from glory to glory. It happens by degrees. And the agent it happens and occurs by is by the Spirit of the Lord. By the Holy Ghost. Thank God forever. But what if you're not looking at the image? Then you won't be changing in that direction. What if you're not going? You know, what if you're not, what if you're looking at the thing that the enemy's been showing you? Well, it works exactly the same way, only it goes the opposite direction. If the enemy can get you to behold his vision for you, then what's going to happen? You're going to become like what he's shown you, and you'll go down by degrees, from level to level to level. You know, people that are on skid row, the enemy didn't sell them that vision usually all at once. But he could get within them a vision of uh, going down, going down. And then the further down they went, the more vision of defeat they would accept. And get them a vision of them seeing themselves as absolutely useless. Absolutely fruitless, unproductive, of no value, no hope, no future. That you don't have anything to offer the world. So they finally just withdraw from everything. And just give up everything. And it's totally because of what they see. They see the world as a useless place and every endeavor is just vanity and why bother? And that the most happiness you could find is in a bottle. They see totally wrong, don't they? They're blinded completely to the truth. They live that way. You can tell how people see their self by the way they treat their self, by the way they carry their self, 
by the way they talk about their self. You know, a lot of times people run their self down and say little derogatory remarks about their self and people laugh. I never laugh. It's not funny to me. It's not funny to me at all. Somebody's running their self down. It just tells me that they don't see their self right. They don't see their self the way God sees them. Oh, if you could just see yourself the way God sees you. You are not a waste of space. You are precious. You are important. You are valuable. He has a plan for you. He has a place for you in His eternal kingdom. And, and you don't, none of us have seen fully how God sees us. He's only able to reveal it to us as our faith and as our humility will allow. But oh, if you'll commune with Him, if you'll feed on His Word, He will let you see that I see you. And I understand the way God sees you is the way you are. Truly. You understand that? God doesn't see lies. It's, it's such a common thing in life that people kid about things. You know, you can tell, you see a, a, a man tell a woman, you know, what, boy, you're gorgeous, you're, you're beautiful, you look so nice. And, and a lot of times you hear the, the woman say, oh, you know, you're just saying that, you know, and this and that. People don't know how to uh, see themselves. And you hear people saying, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of fixed up right now, you know, I, but if you really saw the way I look. But see, you don't see yourself right. I said you don't see yourself right. I said you don't see yourself right. You got to see yourself as somebody in Christ. Intelligent person. Spiritually sensitive and sharp person. Person of character. Person of integrity. Amen. Amen. The Bible said you're a child of God. You've been made a king and a priest. Being trained for royal duty in the kingdom of God. I mean, you're royalty. I said you're royalty. Royalty. More royalty than any king or prince or princess or queen that you know of on this planet. Because their position is temporal and temporary. It's going to change. It's going to fade. It's going to... You understand? But not you. The kingdom of God will never change. Never fail. Never cease. You get a revelation of what we're talking about here. It'll cause you to carry yourself differently. I'm not talking about pompousness. I'm not talking about pride and arrogance. I'm just talking about a revelation of who you are in Christ. What you have in Him. What you can do. Who you... I'm an ambassador. Of the king. I'm down here representing God. In the earth. I'm a representative of his. There are a lot of things down here that's beneath me. The sin and degradation and unrighteousness that's beneath me. We, children of God, have a higher moral standard than that. We won't stoop to it. We won't be involved with it. We, we despise the contamination of it. But we're compassionate individuals full of love, full of concern. And we see all people as precious. And we look at their potential, even if they're not operating in it. 
Oh, friend, what do you want to be? If you can see yourself that way now inside, your faith will work to produce that individual outside. It may not just happen overnight. And you may make a mistake here and there and look and sound like the same old person. But what you got to do is say, I did that, but that's not me. That's not who I am. This is who I am. This is the kind of person I am. This, and you may have to tell yourself that week after week, month after month, but you keep nurturing the vision inside of you and your faith will begin to produce that person outside and you will change. As you behold in the mirror the glory of God, you will change from glory to glory to glory to glory and you will be transformed into the image of the glorious one. Can you say amen? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.